Good morning, everybody. As you've heard, my name is Sarah Jala Emanuel. I'm the Minister of Living Word Church that meets in London. This morning, I'd like us to look at First Samuel chapter 17. And in there, we're told about the uh, David and Goliath, uh, David and Goliath fight, because uh, Goliath was a great big giant, a Philistine giant, and um, he was a warrior, and he was uh, tormenting the armies of Israel. And even Saul, the king, was not able to fight with him. Everyone was intimidated by this man because he was a great big man. He was a great big warrior. He was a giant. He was about nine feet tall, the Bible says. However, little David, the little shepherd boy, who was not trained for battle, certainly not at that time anyway, was only a young boy, probably about 15 or 16, was the one who was able to fight that battle. He was able to fight Goliath and uh, liberate Israel. Now, the reason we're going to look at the story of David is because uh, I spoke recently with you about the knowing the ways of God. And um, as I identified in my earlier sermon, a lot of people know about God, know about what I've heard about what God can do. And I've heard about what God has done, being the creator of the world and uh, the maker of every person. He's the one in whose hands the power of life and death is. However, not a lot of people know the ways of God because the know, uh, knowing the ways of God is born out of a relationship with God, a sincere and true relationship with God, an intimate and deep relationship with God. A lot of people also are confused as to what their purpose is in God. People do not know what the will of God for their lives are, and so they go to great lengths to find out. And now it's not so difficult to find out what the will of God for your life is. In my capacity as pastor, I hear that question all the time. Are you able to tell me the will of God for my life? I'm trying to determine the will of God for my life. I'm still trying to wait for the uh, the will of God in my life. I'm waiting for my call, and all sorts of things like that that people say. However, it's... um. I do not believe that God throws us in confusion in that kind of way. The will of God for every person is the same. It's that we should honor God. We should submit to his authority as our maker, our God. That we should submit to the authority of his son, Jesus Christ, accepting him as Lord and Savior because he alone has paid for our sins. Through him alone can we find forgiveness for sins. And through Jesus alone can we find salvation. And that is the will of God for every person, that we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, his son. Because in so, by so doing, we are submitting to the Lordship of God Almighty himself. To, we're submitting to his sovereignty. However, it is very difficult for people Everybody wants to be a Christian because it's, uh, while it's convenient and comfortable. But when it comes to the rough and tumbles of it, not very many people will stand firm. Not many people can stand on the trial. Not many people can stand on the tribulation. Not many people can take the pressure and the pain of actually being a Christian. And the Bible does not deceive us into thinking that the life of Christianity is all smooth and uh, wonderful and blissful. There's no way the Bible says to us that because we are Christians, we're not going to go through difficult times or hardships or any such thing. As a matter of fact, what the Bible teaches us is that the more committed to God we are, the higher the level of trial we're going to face. And the more Satan is on our case because his intention, his purpose is to destroy every Christian if he can get away with it. So, we want to find out about the will. Today, I'm going to talk about surrendering to the will of God. Surrendering to the will of God, because unless we are surrendered to the will of God, we cannot be of any use to him. 
and people try to rationalize uh, the, their uh, purpose, God's purpose uh, for them. People try to look at it from their own standpoint. People try to look at it from the human angle. And while we're doing this, we will not be the people, the kind of people God wants us to be. We will not be useful for his purposes. Now, David was a little shepherd boy. He, was, he had older brothers who went to war, who were warriors, who, went to, who, who served in, in the army of Israel. But David was a shepherd boy who tended his father's sheep. And on this day in particular, his father sent him to go and see, to you know, take some supplies, some provision to his brothers at the battlefield and bring him report from them as to how they were faring. And David went to the battle. Now, Goliath the giant would come out every time to the battle, uh, battle line and taunt the armies of Israel. He would blaspheme against God Almighty, you know, the God of Israel. He would say all sorts of things to them. He would taunt them. And everybody was afraid of him. Nobody could go to attack Goliath until David got there. And David went there and um, he, heard, uh, he heard the giant uh, Goliath talking against God and, you know, boasting as he did insulting the God of the Almighty God, the God of Israel. And David asked the men standing around him there, said, What will be the what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he shall defy the armies of the living God? Now this coming from a little boy, from a a, a young boy, a little teenage boy, a little teenage shepherd boy, he wasn't even dressed for battle because the others were on the battlefield. The others were dressed, you know, with their armors and everything and the spears and javelins and um, his older brother Eliab was quite irritated when he heard him. It says in verse 28 of 1 Samuel 17, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And David goes, now what have I done? you know can't i even speak you know what a little boy what a little teenager is like i mean his brother did make this false accusation about him being conceited and and and, and wicked we i mean because when we start reading about david's life we find he was nothing he was nowhere near conceited and he certainly did not have a wicked heart david had a very beautiful heart which god loved anyway so david decides you know He's going to go and fight this uh, this philistine he's going to go and fight goliath and bring take the disgrace off israel he said and Saul the king heard, and they brought David to Saul the king. And uh, Saul said, uh, you can't do it, because even Saul looked at him and, say, and said, y- y- there's no way you can do it, you're only a young boy, you know, you're only a little boy. Said, Saul said, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been, fi- he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said, it's okay, because I can do it, because I have fought bears, I have fought lions, you know, in the wilderness while guarding the sheep, and I have actually killed them when the, you know, when, when the um, lions and bears have attacked me, I've killed them. He said, this Philistine will be just like one of them. And why did David make such a boast? Because David knew he was going in the name of God. Because what David said in verse 36, he said, your servant has, he said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And, and so Saul, Saul said to him, Go, and the Lord be with you. And David went 
forth into this battle. Now, before he did, Saul actually gave him his own uh, armor, gave him his javelin and spear, his helmet and all this. And David decided to work around in it a little bit just to see. I mean, obviously, him and Saul could not have been the same size. <laughs> and uh, David did not find this outfit, this battle outfit. He didn't find it comfortable. He said, no, I can't go to war in this. You know, I'm not used to this stuff. I cannot. I couldn't possibly go out there like this. This is not comfortable. And so he decided, he, he took these things off and he took his staff in his hand, decided to go to, to fight the, uh, the giant with, with his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones. He had, um, he had a sling, um, which um, I think in, in my day growing up, we called it a catapult. Anyway, he had this, um, it was very similar gadget anyway, handmade sling, and he took it with five smooth stones and he went ahead just to, to go and fight the Philistine. Now he gets there, he's going to the uh, battlefront, Goliath looks at him, he's quite disgusted. He says, am I a dog that you, that you come at me with sticks? And David said, um, he said, come here and I'll give your flesh on the, uh, come here the, uh, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now David said a most astonishing thing. He said, uh, verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And um, he said, this day I'll uh, uh, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and it will give all of you into our hands. And that was exactly what happened. David took his vote of confidence in God, and he was not put to shame. David went ahead and fought against this, uh, this great big giant. All David shot at him was one stone. This one stone penetrated the forehead of, of Goliath, and he fell down and died immediately. David was not intimidated by the size of the battle ahead of him. David was not intimidated by the size of the person ahead of him, of the, by the size of the enemy, or the position of the enemy, or by the experience of the enemy, or by the equipment of the enemy. He was not intimidated. He went forth in the name of the Lord God Almighty, because his purpose was to bring glory to God, not to himself, but to bring glory to God. This is exactly how you and I are supposed to walk and live in this life in order, in order to bring glory to God. And when we do that, we will find that the God of Israel in those days who was faithful to David, the God who fought the battle on David's behalf. Because the battle, yes, we want to uphold the glory of God. We want to bring honor to God. But it is he who gives us the strength to be able to bring him that honor and the glory. David was disgusted by, uh, by Goliath because Goliath had defied the, the God of Israel. He said, the whole world will know, I'm going to defeat you because you have defied the God, uh, the, the God of Israel. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Do you know that that was the reason that God chose the nation of Israel in the first place, to be special people? So that the whole world might know that there is God Almighty in Israel. And so by so doing, the other peoples of the world may turn to the living God. But the nation as a whole failed because they had all, kind of, all kinds of uh, breeds of kings and leaders through the history of Israel. And unfortunately, they were not all like David, you see, because David definitely led them in the worship of the one eternal living God, 
Jehovah El Shaddai. David led them in the right worship before God. David loved God to bits and God loved him in the same way. So much so that the covenant that God made with him was that he would, David would never fail to have someone on the throne of Israel. And through the lineage of David, uh, Jesus Christ our Lord came into the world as a person. David stood for the cause of God. So you see, David at the time did not know he was going to be king of Israel. Because he was only a young boy, he was only a young shepherd boy. And even after, even after he was anointed king of Israel, because before that time, indeed, uh, God had sent Samuel to go and anoint David. But I don't believe David took it you know, that seriously. Because he continued to live his life as a shepherd boy as he had done. Even though Samuel had pronounced him that God was chosen to be leader of Israel, to be the king of Israel. He did not go to the war with Goliath because of that. He went to the war with Goliath because Goliath was intimidating his nation and he was insulting the living God, the God of Israel. And even after that battle, David still went to serve under the king of Israel, Saul. David did not quickly ascend the throne. He had so many opportunities to to kill Saul, the present king, because he had been anointing king. But David did not. David walked in the will of God. And how did he do it? Through obedience. This is exactly where we're going today. Because people wonder, you feel inadequate you, 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 because you think you do not yet have the resources or whatever it is you need to, to serve God. You do not yet have enough resources in your hands. You do not yet have the qualifications you need. You do not yet have the right amount of money or status. It is not so. It is not everybody who serves God is going to be on a pulpit. Unfortunately, these days when people talk about serving God, they think it's a prestigious thing. Because they look at all those people who have been sent out by Satan to deceive the world. Who come out appearing so with their ever so polished and smooth appearance as though serving God were, such a, were an executive position. It isn't. It is a very rough thing. It is very tough. Because you cannot serve God in spirit and in truth unless you are fully submitted. Unless you give your life totally into the hands of God. It is not, an, it is not just words of mouth when we sing the song, All to Jesus I surrender, all to Jesus I freely give. When you want to serve God, when you are called to serve God, all to Jesus you will have to freely give. Otherwise you suffer for it, you pay for it. It is not uh, an executive position that is it's, uh, such a polished and highest team then to serve God. It isn't. It's a very, very rough journey. And if you go back and read throughout the, uh, the Old Testament and even the New Testament, you will find that there was nothing, nothing fanciful about serving God. And there still isn't. So when people are talking about the will of God for their lives, they're wanting to be in a lovely position with a good title and, and so they go, well, I've not yet determined the will of God for my life and such things. The will of God starts with the obedience and your submission. You do not wait for certain things to happen first. David did not wait. Oh, well, I'll fight this Philistine one day when I'm a bit bigger. Or first I shall go and train myself for war. Like people think, first I've got to go to school of theology first and get a degree and all that so that I can have all the letters and the titles behind my, before and after my name. Then people will reckon with me. What do you want people reckoning with you for? If you're serving God and your purpose is to bring glory to God, then it is God you want to reckon with you. Now, he's not interested in your academic qualifications, neither is he interested in whatever titles you choose to bear. God does not dole out titles. God has work for people to do. I'm an evangelist. That's my job. It's not my title. My title is miss. So, you see, it's not about that. 
but when you fully submitted, when your purpose, when your purpose is to bring glory to God, it does not matter where you start. It does not matter who you are. Because, you know, God is not interested in the big and flamboyant. God does not collect superstars. He uses the most unlikely and the most unnoticeable people, actually, and the most ordinary of circumstances to achieve his glorious purposes. There were thousands and thousands of, of soldiers in Israel and on the, battle, on the battlefront. Yet God chose. He brought from himself, from the wilderness, from the fields where he was tending sheep, God, God brought for himself the little shepherd boy to come and achieve his purpose. God could have empowered any of the other warriors there to do the same thing. But no, he chose to use the most unlikely person. A little shepherd boy who just came along to bring supplies to his brothers. That was who God chose to use. So whereby you may consider yourself insignificant in the eyes of people or by the standards of the world, in the eyes of God, when you are an obedient child, you are very significant. You are very significant. God, Jesus, when Jesus was here in his ministry, there were so many intellectuals, so many Bible scholars. We have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. Jesus did not use them, and he did not choose them. Who did he choose? He chose, <clears throat> he chose the unlikeliest. He chose the sinners. He chose the fishermen. I do believe the only one who um, had any intellectual capacity of uh, the um, uh, disciples of Jesus then was Luke, who was a medical doctor. But then, you know, um, Luke was not exactly one of the 12 disciples either. He was a disciple, but he wasn't one of the first 12. And Paul wasn't one of the first 12. He was also an intellectual. He, he had studied under one of the greatest uh, teachers in Israel. And even Saul, when he became Paul, I mean, the apostle Paul actually said, he said, when I came, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it says in verse 4 of that, it said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Despite all of his academic achievements, Paul still said he submitted himself to the authority of the Holy Spirit, and he preferred to do that because that was a lot more beneficial to him. It was better for him, for God to walk through him, than for him to work for, for God in, in, in the way we look at it from the viewpoint of the world. That's the thing, you see. A lot of people want to work for God rather than have God work through them. There's a difference in the two. You want to work for God, you choose yourself, you choose your position, you choose your title, you choose your standing, and you do it the way you choose to do it or the way the world dictates to you to do it. But when God works through you, you are submitted, you are just a vessel through whom God works in whichever way he chooses. You are just in total submission all the time and in absolute, living in absolute obedience. That was how Jesus Christ our Lord served. God worked through him. Jesus did not work for God, but God worked through him. And that was why Jesus was able to say to us in chapter uh, 8 of John, then the last verse in there, he said, the one who sent me has not left me. He never leaves me because I always do what pleases him. When you are able to say that as a, as a servant of God, when you are able to say that, then you are definitely a servant of God. When you are able to say that with confidence, 
that God has not left me because I always do what pleases him. He never leaves me. Because all you do is to bring him glory, not to bring yourself glory. Not to count your own achievement and attainment. But to count the glory for God. Jesus, when he was going to fill the multitude, he chose, he, he, he fed them through, uh, fed uh, uh, 5,000 people with two loaves of bread and five fish. That was all he needed. So whatever resources in your hands that God may have put in your hands, whatever resource, however little you may think it is, you entrust it into the hands of God. I hear people give excuses all the time. They have no financial commitment to their church or their ministry or to the poor and needy. They don't give. Yeah, they say, oh, well, one day you say, oh, when I make it, oh, when my breakthrough comes, I will, I will take care of the orphans. When my breakthrough comes, I will do this for the church. What are you waiting for? Who has promised you a breakthrough anyway? I don't see a breakthrough promised anywhere in the Bible. But when you are able to trust God with the little he has put in your hands for now, when you're able to put the little he has entrusted you with to good use, he will be delighted to, to, to entrust you with more. Jesus told us that in several illustrations of parables. Suddenly told us the parable of the talents. When you are able to justify your having the little in the first place before God, it will be God's delight to put, you, to put more in your hands. But if you're going to wait until you have multiplied what you have, then God will not bother to multiply it. Because obviously you are self-seeking. You are not seeking the purpose of God. You are not in the will of God. Remember the widow's mite, the widow's offering, when people were given uh, uh, into the temple tre uh, treasury, the people were taking their gifts. This is uh, in chapter 21 of Luke. And a poor widow, everybody was putting money in, and this poor widow put in two very small copper coins that she had. And Jesus said to them, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. That is a sacrificial life. That is the kind of life that we are expected to live as Christians. It is when you live like that, you are in the will of God. Don't sit around saying you have not yet identified your calling. You have not yet heard your calling. You have not yet. You already have the calling the minute you came to Jesus Christ. You've just been maybe deaf to it. But now, I'm asking you to open your ears and understand that God is calling you. He has called you already. He calls us to obedience, primarily to obedience. You want to be a great superstar for God? Maybe. Personally, I happen to know that God does not deal in superstars. However, if you start through obedience, by obeying the will of God and the commands of God and the word of God, living by the word of God every day of your life faithfully before God, it will please God. It may please him to, to, to take you to greater heights and place greater, use it for bigger exploits and put bigger responsibilities on your shoulders. Depends on how faithful you have been with the smaller things. So when your purpose is for, to bring glory to God, he will always give you an abundance of what you need. God will make sure he supplies your need. In chapter 5, uh, in chapter five of Luke, verse 5 in there, uh, Peter had been fishing all night long. He and the other disciples, they'd been fishing all night long. They caught nothing. And then along comes Jesus, and he tells them where to, to cast their nets. Now, Peter could have said to Jesus, look, we've been here all night. Although he did say, he said, we've been here all night, we've worked hard all night, and we've caught nothing. And he could have said to Jesus, look, I've been a fisherman all my life. I know what I'm talking about. There really is nothing going on here today. But what he said to Jesus, he said, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
But because you say so, it did not make sense to Peter that they should cast their net again. They've been casting their net all night long and nothing was happening. But he said, but because you say so, I will cast it. I will let down the nets just because he said so. And when, when he obeyed like that, trusting in Christ just because Christ says so, the Bible records that they, they, had, they, they caught an abundance of fish, that they all had to put their energy together to drag the net out of the sea. In fact, the net was even tearing. That's how much they got. They got an abundance out of nothing because he obeyed, because he trusted in the one who had given the command. You have to learn to trust in the command of God. Not because it makes sense to you, not because you think it's going to be pleasant, but because God says so, because his word says so. And when your concern is solely to please God in that way, you will not worry about what people will say or what people will do. David endured this con and the mockery by his brother. Even, even Saul, the king, said to him, how can you? You're only a little boy. His brothers told him, we only, what do you want? You're only a little boy. You can't do this. We're all here. We, we've not been able to do it in all this time. Who do you think you are? But he went ahead and did it in the name of God. Let your concern not be about what people think, what your husband thinks, what your wife thinks, what your friends think, what your pastor thinks, what anybody thinks. Concentrate on what God thinks. It may not always make sense. It may not always look good, but you do it. You go ahead and do it because the Lord says so. You will endure persecution even. But because God says so, you will take the mockery, the abuse, and the scorn, the laughter. But because God says so, when you obey God in that way, you will find that you can never go wrong. Because unfortunately, you will not know God's best until you are fully surrendered to God. Satan does not want you to receive God's best. So he will fill you with all kinds of empty notions. He will tell you, oh, wait for better circumstances. Oh, wait until you've achieved it. Oh, wait until you do that. Oh, no. He will make you compare yourself to others around you rather than compare yourself to Jesus. Because when you compare yourself to Christ our Lord alone, you will find that you are forever reaching out to do the right thing in the eyes of God because it will, it will take all of your lifetime to attain the perfection of Jesus Christ. It will take all of my lifetime to attain that. And, that, and that's what I want to attain. And so I continue to strive, and that's the way it should be. That's the way it has to be. It is a waste of time to give excuses before God. It is a waste of time to wait until something happens before you do something. Tomorrow is not in your hands. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's favor. Submit to the will of God. Start by obedience. Begin to obey the word of God to the letter. And you will find that through that, everything else will be revealed to you. And everything else will work out well. If you have not trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the day to do it is now. Tomorrow is not in your hands. And tomorrow may be too late. And you will find that you, you're simply wasting your life if Jesus is not Lord and Savior to you because you'll never find your purpose. You'll never find your will in God. And one day you'll have to give account to him how you spent that life. I'm going to leave it here for today. My name is Sarah Jala Emanuel. I'm the pastor of Living Word Church. We meet 12, uh, 10 a.m. to 12 noon every Sunday at St. Luke's Church Center, Roscoe Street, which is off White Cross Street, London EC1. That's the old street in Barbican area of London. You may contact me by email on livingword2005 at aol.com. And our church website is livingwatchurch.co.uk. Until the next time, may the Lord richly bless you.